0: episode of the Just Transmissions podcast, Aotearoa's podcast on climate and social justice. Friday the 15th of March began as a day of great hope, where thousands of school kids across Aotearoa took to the streets to call for bold climate action. This was soon completely overshadowed, when in the early afternoon a white supremacist stormed two Christchurch mosques, murdering dozens of people in the worst terror attack this country has seen. In the aftermath of this attack, Discussions about racism and Islamophobia in Aotearoa have been brought to the surface. Today, I'm joined by our usual hosts, climate activist Briar Wyatt and peace activist Rebecca Jung. We're also joined by my friend Mukseet Bashir. Mukseet is a Muslim New Zealander who grew up in West Auckland. The other day, he posted a heartfelt account of his experience as a Muslim immigrant in New Zealand and his thoughts on Friday's terror attacks. His post was shared widely on social media and received some media attention. We invited Mookseat onto the show to share his story and join our discussion.
1: Kia mm-hmm. everyone, welcome, Mookseat. Hey guys, thanks for having me.
2: Um, before we get into our discussion today, I also just wanted to talk about the fact that we're very aware, increasingly so after this horrific terrorist attack, that there are some vital voices that have been missed over and over in this conversation. And acknowledging that, I'd like to signal this the following passage that was written by Pakeza Rashid, Asia Leadership Network, um, and this was published in Vice. Time for new voices at the table. It is time for women to be leading conversations. It is time to listen to the voices that make you uncomfortable. Voices that express anger. Voices that call for the country to engage in difficult dialogue. Voices that will no longer accept the status quo to acknowledge Islamophobia is rife in New Zealand and that our current discourse on racism and its watered-down corporate cousin, diversity and inclusion, falls woefully short. Muslim women need to lead conversations and actions across the country, and even more so when it comes to our own community.
0: Thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing that piece earlier. Really powerful um, to, to read that. And, and I think there's been quite a lot of um, about this event, but also um, mixed in with, with the not-so-great that yeah we should we should start um by going to Mookseat and um discuss I guess your experience um growing up in New Zealand as a Muslim um and and your thoughts
1: yeah of course um yeah I kind of I've kind of touched on it on my post but I guess to expand um in 1998 out west uh and I've been there for my whole life um and you know I'm very uh I'm very visually obviously um a brown guy um And I guess less obviously, but if you get to know me, I'm a very Muslim man as well. You know, like we came to New Zealand and kind of, as part of the kind of first, not maybe not the first, but one of the big rushes of, um, especially a lot of brown faces coming over at that time, New Zealand was a very different place. Uh, And so, you know, we kind of dealt with a lot of the challenges that we'll speak about as well, just in the sense of a general kind of xenophobia and and a a fear of the other. The reality of I was five at the time even I could tell was racism but you know like I because I didn't know any different it was just accepted and it's just something that we learn to live with in a variety of different forms verbal abuse just you know sometimes physical I had some altercations as a kid we you know that kind of evolved from the fact that I was called names or something like that you know and it escalated um it's to a lot of a lot of Uh, migrant and immigrant communities overseas in a lot of western countries as well that that kind of came into sharp relief or sharp focus i guess even sharper focus after 9-11 where you know when you have a name that is muxit bashir um and you have a mom who is hijab you're very obviously a muslim person um and kids kids can be cruel i guess but also you know i think the world wasn't really was dealing with in general um the usual kind of jokes about being a terrorist, or not even jokes, but you know, sometimes more vitriolic than that. At the time I think I turned nine, I just turned nine, um, before September eleven. Uh, in a lot of ways, it shaped my existence, um, and it continues to do so. Classic stories of being targeted at the airport. Um, you know, my mum was a hijab as I mentioned, and her being targeted and finding abusive messages running on the walls and helping clean those things off um you know we had all of that and it all sounds really terrible um you know and and it wasn't it wasn't good and i'm not trying to say that it was was just life for us to an extent and it wasn't you know it wasn't even like the main experience like we had some really wonderful times and clear to or keen to kind of show was that you know i was so proud to be from west Auckland because despite these experiences it was always such a welcoming place to us such a diverse community and there were so many other faces and so many other people that had different backgrounds that we always felt welcome here um and like extremely loyal to west auckland and in particular but auckland as a city and new zealand as a country because at home i know and also because it's just uh it has always been a really wonderful place for us one thing i noticed i think you know throughout throughout my life um, especially into adulthood as you kind of become but very, very um, viscerally since Friday after those events on a really good media coverage. And I think, um, you know, Justin Ardern said some really wonderful things and has been a really great leader throughout this whole thing. But narrative, a lot of a lot of talk of, oh, you know, this is not us. This is not New Zealand. Um, these kind of things don't happen here. Um, and walking into a mosque or any kind of jewelry like that and shooting a, a, a group of innocent people um but i just wanted to kind of shed light on the fact that these you know on a on a smaller scale these things do happen and they have always happened um and complacency and apathy and to a certain extent and naivety to these situations is kind of a number of other factors has gotten us to where we are at the moment you know um minority voices of 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 women's voices or muslim women's voices. Just Muslims I know that that is the kind of issue at hand of course and as a Muslim person I feel it very viscerally and very personally but phobia is not just limited to Muslims of course post nine eleven, Islamophobia is a huge something that you know you kind of see and is in the forefront of our minds but I was kind of clear I was kind of keen to show that or speak on the fact that you know it's not just us that faces these things Um to kind of speak on the experiences of Friday um, and onwards, I went to my Friday prayers, my Jummah prayers, uh, as I do, uh, you know, if not every Friday, most Fridays I take time off work or a bit of that as do many other Muslim, Muslim people of piety and devotion, you know, um, it's, it's, we're not a homogenous group. It's such a broad group of people. Um, anyway, so, you know, I went to my Jummah prayers on Friday and I and I went home afterwards and I got this notification on my phone, and you know, my—I I guess the in a, in a kind of sad way—and and one thing I've spoken about with my friends and my family, the first thing I noticed was Muslim hack and my my mind, as it does every single time I see something like this happen, as as it does every single time there's an attack in any other country, uh, my first thought is that a Muslim that's doing it, um, because I know the repercussions. I felt the re- repercussions. um, ever since 9-11 of every uh, terrorist attack, like, and it's not just me. I think a lot of Muslims, most Muslims, everyone, you know, in my friend group, at least that's like your first thought is, oh God, not again. Like, I hope it's not one of us. Um, And I kind of, I turned the TV on and I saw what was actually happening. And um, initially, obviously I didn't, I couldn't really process it. But as I kind of kept watching the coverage, um, I, I I was keen to kind of clarify this to a lot of people that asked. It wasn't um i wasn't surprised you know i was shocked of course i was shocked you don't ever expect something like this to happen but surprised you know like it's not unexpected in the sense that this has happened in um in canada recently um you know on, on black churches and it's happened in bulls so you know it's a, <laughs> it's not a surprise I, I i don't think we should have been surprised we should have is coming of course you don't expect it to be so close to home um of course you don't expect it to be in new zealand if and not in a physical sense but it was an attack on me and it was an attack on on my dad or my community um very specifically you know it happened to be in christchurch it could have been in auckland it could have been anywhere you know um it's always it's always in a certain part of my mind because i've had these experiences of you know like being followed going for a run and being followed by a group of white guys in a car um you never expect something like this to happen but physical safety is not has not always been guaranteed it's not front and center of my mind it's not something that i go outside and i worry about but it's there you know at at, on some level in the immediate aftermath i was i was shocked but i was not surprised um i think a part of me really did die um an innocence a faith in people to a certain extent you know uh, I don't know if that's the best way to describe it but for me and a lot of my friends and my family is this deep sense of grief and this deep sense of sadness and I feel a lot of these things very emotionally um, whenever I've seen these attacks in other cities not just on Muslims but you know the Paris attacks or anything like that I, I really I really do feel them and any loss of life is just so heartbreaking but this one was you know it's different of course it's it's very different for me um it was much more personal um and hit a lot closer to home i'm afterwards it's a sense of heartbreak um and i think you know anyone that's experienced grief i guess it always feels like never really dissipate it's a fog that hangs over you i um, mean in the day since that's how it's felt um and like i said we didn't we didn't necessarily lose anyone personally so we've been able to kind of go about our daily lives to some extent but it's always in the background and it's always you know yeah, yeah it's always it's always kind of in your thoughts um, and it's been hanging over and to a certain extent it's a very emotionally exhausting experience one just kind of something i noticed obviously was it's very easy to be resentful of Islamophobia that I've experienced or the racism that I've experienced as a brown guy um, and you know I, I, I am resentful of that as much as I love where I'm from and who I am in these kind of really really terrible times in and in some sort of twisted kind of poetry I guess it's really really in mind how great some people are and days subsequent to those attacks just the outpouring of grief and support that I felt personally but that we have felt as a community as well has been like truly overwhelming Um, messages and to see how people have reacted has just been like genuinely such a beautiful thing. Um, I went to the mosque last night for the first time with my dad um, and there was hundreds of people there to support us after us as we said our prayers and to sit with us and to to speak with us and they're laying wreaths and flowers and you know taking money out of their own pockets like i'm not from a rich part of the city you know much a working class neighborhood and to see some of the wreaths such beautiful you know bouquets um i know that these are not families that are doing particularly well fiscally so to see the sacrifice they've made even in that sense is just like it was it's just so touching um and that they took time out of their days to sit with us and to speak with us is just been like it's beautiful in a way that i can't really describe um and i don't think words can ever really do it justice and the comfort that it's brought us will never really be um articulated um not not by me anyway um i don't really have the words for it um and i I don't know how it you know soon just to be thinking like this but i just hope that you know, the sacrifice, that loss of life has not been in vain. Um, and I know, you know, in the days following something like this, of course, there is going to be a certain outpouring and a crease in feeling. Um, and I just hope that we can sustain that as a society um, and that, you know, there's going to be a few crossroads for us whether it comes to gun law or, you know, this hate and this xenophobia and this racism. Um, and I think, I hope that we can make some brave decisions.
3: Thank you. So, taking us through, you know, everything you've experienced in the last few days, so clearly and explaining to us what you've been through. I think for me, as another person who looks very clearly not white, um, I related to so much of what you talked about in terms of experienced growing up um, in Aotearoa, despite Feeling like you belong to the community that you're a part of and, you know, loving the life that, yeah, there's always, you know, little reminders of um, the fact that some people feel like we don't belong. Yeah. Have, have you had a lot of people kind of responding to what you've posted in that way and relating to their own experiences? And...
1: Yeah, like... um the response in general has been re- really overwhelming, you know, and like I initially I was not going to say anything. And then I just kind of wanted to say something just to my friends and family and to see the kind of spread of it has been really incredible. Um, in terms of the response, yeah, that you're, you're, you're a hundred percent right. There's been two kind of big, big responses. And that's from other people of color being like, um, thank you for saying these things because they're so true. And our experiences ring true. You know, it's like, I'm you know, at pains to kind of, temper what I say and maybe additionally so because I am a person of color and I feel obligated to but I've I really wanted to take I love my life here I love my community and it is my community I don't I don't feel excluded people might not look not look at me and think that I belong here but I feel like I belong here and I love it and always loved me back um and I guess the other response has been um, from a lot of you know white people or non-minority people reaching out and saying that you know we didn't really realize that this was the case. Um, I, I realized, but to an extent, I also did turn a blind eye or I was apathetic about it. Um, and that that's a really humbling response to get as well. Um, I don't really ask for any more.
3: One thing um, that you kind of touched upon. Well, um, there were moments in your Life uh, growing up in New Zealand, where you felt like your your safety was not something that was guaranteed. And I think after Friday, it's really been a spotlight for us that um, the systems and the authorities that all of us say um, didn't work in this instance. Is that something you can speak to, or is it something that we should kind of um, dwell on and reflect on in the coming days?
1: Um, no, I I think I can speak to it to a certain extent, um, have been times or moments in my life where I've felt physically unsafe. Um, I I don't think I have really ever felt in any more danger than uh, just any woman must do in any situation. Um, so for that, to that, to that extent, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if there was anything that the authorities could do beyond a systemic kind of approach, um i've not I've, I've heard a few times and i agree with it is that i'm part of a community that has been you know, at the end of the day we were the victims on friday um us as a society maybe or the powers that be maybe to be naive to the threat of um, white supremacy and um I can't really say that there is any other situation. Like I, you know, um, I don't think there's anything else that the authorities authorities necessarily that could have been done differently um, beyond, yeah, taking that, the threat from that side of the um, spectrum a bit more seriously.
0: I think that's a really important point um, that, thanks, Maxie, and it was, it was great to um, just hear you know, you talk us through, like Rebecca was saying, talk us through your experience and going through the last couple of days. So I really appreciate that. Um, just following on from the, the sort of the feeling unsafe and the, you know, what authorities um, have and, and haven't been doing um, and earlier about, you know, that we need to, um, as a as a society, government and authorities really need to start listening to, Muslim woman and the Muslim community more broadly. Um, a kind of tangible and real example of that that I saw was, um, you know, this, this article that has come out about the Islamic women's council have repeatedly lobbied um, about, you know, the rise of the alt-right and this discrimination and, and were just sort of ignored or not really taken seriously. And, and it's just such a, in hindsight, it's such a tragedy for us I think to to really you know start um listening to to these communities um to our communities did you have any thoughts on that
1: um no I, I agree with what you said um there's some really intelligent um women in the Muslim community uh, I'm lucky enough to be to be related to one um my sister Sazi Bashir is a great speaker on this, um, from the Islamic Women's Council, uh Andri Rahman is, you know, a really a really incredible person, um and so such an important figure in our community. Um yeah, and I, I think to give to give voice to these women um is gonna be a good thing and it's only ever gonna bring um nuance and shed light on things that, you know, not other people can't doubt, but you know, like I couldn't even that I couldn't even tell you. Um yeah, so I, I agree with what you said.
2: I just wanted to build on what Paul was just saying in terms of, I guess, predominantly white um, and pakistani led institutions like our government um, warnings that we had over time, right? This is, this is not a new thing that's happened. The warnings have come from within the Islamic community, but they've sort of come from everywhere. They've come from racist media coverage of the Ghana and Hosking breed, Plunkett breed, Um, they've been coming for years and we continue to ignore them and even post-event we're still seeing sort of intensive um, reaction from white communities um, where they're saying this is an attack on all of New Zealand, Uh, this is an attack on the values of New Zealand without acknowledging the fact that maybe the values of New Zealand were not exactly what we thought they might have been Um, and something that's really zeroed in on that for me I think was the report Christchurch who said locked eyes with the terrorist for six seconds um and did not get shot and I think you know I've seen checking in as safe and face on Facebook with their um little check-in thing that they put in white friends who were never the target of this attack checking and safe Conference today and Councillor Richard Hill spoke about how now is the time for white people to realize that they were always going to be safe from this attack and we will continue to be safe because privilege. I mean, I guess what we need to do now is use that privilege, right, to protect the other communities. Um, but how we do that without complete overhaul of everything that our country is about. Um any thoughts or ideas on how we get that process started?
1: Um look, I'm I'm not I'm no kind of political expert. Um, but you're right. Uh we it's easy to say that our values as a country are acceptance and whatnot. Um but it's it, it seemingly or in hindsight it was easier to stand by and let those be eroded um than to stand for them. Uh asking um and co <laughs> you can't discount the effect that they have They obviously on a far but you know, it all adds up and it is, um, yeah, it is, it is systemic and it is endemic, um, to an extent, and it is a very daunting task. Look, I, I, I don't, I don't know where we start. Um, for me in these kind of days since, been able to have are healthy um, and they're good and they're a start. Um, the fact that people such as myself, even, um, you know, or, you know, or the likes from other people in the community being given a voice as um, um, a start. Um, the fact that people have tough conversations amongst each other and by people, I mean, white people, um, you know, like to an extent, A small minority of New Zealand, like in New Zealand, can do right. Like our our structures of power are dominated by white people, um, and for there to be systemic change, we need buy-in from that larger group of people. Um, So yeah, look, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I think it starts with talking, but hopefully it doesn't just end there, and there's some action um, of awakening to the fact that free speech and hate speech Um, uh, a recognition that such as the suspect from Friday exists um, and not just one or two of them but a lot of them (laughs) Um, those forums on 4chan are you know the biggest forums on 4chan and you know on those parts of the internet necessarily tiny minorities of people like they exist and they can hide behind a veil of anonymity we need a uh, acknowledge that these people exist. Um, I don't know what I don't know what the end game is. To be honest with you, um, part of me is hopeful. The other part of me is terrified um, of what the future holds. So, yeah,
3: shock, but not a surprise. And I guess uh, the number of people there are out there who are saying, oh, "This is not us. This is not New Zealand." goes to show few voices of people of colour, Muslim people were being heard before Friday. Um, I've spent quite a bit of time in the last couple of days um, going through social media and reporting uh, white supremacist groups, gun rights groups, um, Islamophobic groups on Facebook and Twitter. And um, I've been like the target of some of them, but there was like a whole another spectrum of Islamophobic groups that I had not been aware of. And the the last couple of days have also been um, one of quite um, uncomfortable conversations that of, like my Korean community who have been active in spreading Islamophobia within the Korean community in New Zealand. And I think it's a time of unspeakable sorrow, but I guess, with allies is try to have those conversations so the hurt doesn't go to the muslim community instead
0: i just want to jump in on that last point that you um said rebecca because yeah i I think it's really important one i I really agree is that you know and like as as a pakihara as well um i'm over the last few days and and really sure that we don't just leave it to you know, the Muslim community and people of colour to have these conversations with Pākehā and, like, Pākehā need to also for these communities and, and you know, especially in conversations with other Pākehā. So I, I just think that's that's something that, um, that we can do as well um, and sort of not leave it all up to um, the communities that are most affected by things
3: like this. I think we're going to spend a bit of time um, later on in the podcast talking about uh, practical things people can do to help in the coming days and weeks but um, if there's anything in particular that you would like to um, or um, state as things that would be helpful at this time we'd really appreciate that.
1: Um, yeah uh, I had to think about that and it was um, an, interest, an interesting one I guess um, and I've had a few people kind of ask me Um First and foremost, just kind of be vocal um stories um talk about it don't let don't let you know pass us by first and foremost um secondly uh, we we live in a capitalist society, and the reality is money plays a big part um a lot of the people their lives on friday um were breadwinners their families Um, and you know and and I think as has been touched on we're kind of still as the Muslim community in New Zealand is still in in its infancy to a certain extent we're still a nascent community um, which means that you have a lot of migrants um, a lot of working class people Um, the reality is people are they can afford to are able to donate it is actually going to have a big impact on these people because uh, uh, you know the the future for a lot of these people is going to be it's going to be hard from that physical sense unfortunately Um, and so I think that is an important one if you are able to uh, in my eyes at least Um, just kind of beyond that you know I think we are like I said there's going to be some tough conversations to be had um, and I just hope that we can kind of be cognizant of those and
2: and I think being on the right side of history is the perfect way to put it because especially in this country where we've had a history of Prime Ministers who don't remember what side of history they were on at other important moments, um, I guess now's the time to really clearly pick those sides, right?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, Don't, you know, like, (laughs) uh, you see a lot of people coming out, you know, and I I go to give props to Scott Morrison for his response. Um, It was unexpected given, you know, the history of his rhetoric. Um, So, yeah, we have a lot of politicians who... I have forgotten what side of history they were they have been on historically um so yeah it's really important to rally around those who represent the values that we you know say that we stand for but yeah put pressure on those leaders politicians to make sure that the right decisions are made so that you know we we can grow from this experience absolutely um one thing that really kind of
0: me is is um after i went back and reread reread an article that um You were talking about your sister earlier, Muxi, that that she wrote um, around um, sort of, I think it was about six months or so ago, their policy around um, or uh, migrants coming to New Zealand would need to take or sort of a commitment to New Zealand values or something along those lines. And, you know, it's really just sums up dog whistle politics that, um, you know, we need to hold leaders to account for. And um, the Deputy Prime Minister might um, offer some Sort of nice words now or maybe he's not but if he is like we need to be reminding um, these leaders that you know you were using this kind of politics to your advantage when it wasn't um such a major issue Um, but now i feel
1: like we really need to make sure that it, it can't happen again um yeah just and just to expand on that paul and i i don't know i don't know if this comes across as petty but it is genuinely a concern for us um, as Muslim people, um, I was surprised to, to be honest with you, how, what the language was because like, you, like you said, this dog whistle politics is populism is easy. Um, so I was surprised on the fact that this was called a terrorist attack because that never happens. Um, and it always feels for us as, you know, pretty much mutually exclusive with being Muslim or Brown, um. So that was a big thing, and I think uh I don't know for what it's worth. I just hope that in the future, people remember that it's not a representation of white people of Christchurch or of Australians or anything like that um so if If ever something like this happens in the future and it's perpetrated by a muslim it's you know, of us we're you know it's the second largest religion in the world, like there's billions of people literally um and that is not a representation of us, it's just an individual um Jews, you know, um, but we live in constant fear of that of that populism um of the narrative um of that narrative that it's very easy to take for i think for the media um of of hate and of otherness um and we've lived with that for a long time, and I think it's important not to discount the effect that that's had like, like the suspect from friday you know um you you mentioned a good point um and I hope that we've we've turned a corner, but time will tell i guess. Thank you so much, Mox. That was really great
0: to have you um, and to, to hear from you. I really hope that, yeah, you continue to find strength over the coming days.
1: Uh, yeah. Hey, no problem. Thank you guys uh, for having me. But I hope that being been able to express some of the feelings that we've had. And yeah, the work that you guys are doing is really important. Yeah. Thank you for including me in that conversation.
0: Great to hear from Muxit. One of the initial sentiments um, in the introduction was the fact that this tragedy has really brought up Islamophobia and, and racism that was an, an undercurrent in New Zealand society. And yeah, I want to sort of throw out there, like, what, what do we think of the kind of initial reaction and response to this? And...
3: One thing that I really related to from what Muxit said was, you know, when the news first broke, um, there was a sense of, please let this not be a person of colour. I think. Being a person of colour in Aotearoa, you already understand how things will play out if it is a crime committed by a person of colour. And that speaks to, I guess, the ongoing experiences of racism that we um, are exposed to. I guess um, it took quite some time for it to be defined as a terrorist attack, even though it was clearly a terrorist attack.
0: That's right, and I think... um... Muxit mentioned Scott Morrison, and um, I think he actually even beat Jacinda, and you know, just was was sort of earlier than her, and in, and um, in describing it as as a terrorist attack and as a um, one by a white supremacist as well. You know, there is sort of an, an element of caution even still, and and I don't know, I can't wrap my head around what what that's about.
3: This is really the first time life in New Zealand um, since like nineteen ninety two that I've heard the word white supremacy being used in kind of mainstream society. I think a lot of people have been sharing that pyramid of white supremacy um, with genocide at the top and indifference at the bottom. And I think for, for me as a person of color, most of my regular days and in interactions, I experience um, white supremacy going from indifference to at least veiled racism. I guess that's something that I find ways of addressing. and. I don't know if we mentioned it earlier in our discussion, but the reason this country came to be and is also a story of white supremacy. And I think we need to acknowledge that to um, talk about how we can fix things.
2: I totally agree, Rebecca, with everything you just said. And it was really obvious at the vigil that we have a long way to go before we start recognizing the, the history of New Zealand as an entity. It took probably four or five speakers at the vigil in Auckland before we used the word terrorist or white supremacist, even though we were there to mourn victims of a terrorist attack. You know, you could have played thoughts and prayers bingo with the sort of empty platitudes from politicians across the entire spectrum. This is not limited to one political party. A narrative that we've formed where this is sort of a sick individual type thing really has excused us in the past from using the terms like white supremacist, and now finally we can and maybe... That's how we start the conversation that stops people becoming radicalised into white supremacy.
3: Definitely, and I think it's the same for Islamophobia as well. Um, People who've been um, paying attention will know that Gauri is Garman. She um, announced her election and people were saying things like, I'm going to load up my shotgun. She's been getting death threats that are explicitly Islamophobic since 2017. And we never really paid enough attention to that as a society. That's just one example of, you know, the lived experiences of people in the affected communities that we're only now starting to listen to.
0: Uh, Absolutely. And uh, I just want to touch on something that um, you said, Briar, around dismissal of this as being kind of a, um, you know, one sick individual or a kind of lone wolf. And I think it also uh, aligns with that general, this isn't us, um sentiment but um you know moxie mentioned that actually there are a lot of these um people that are organizing um and you know it's quite what's uh, frightening that um this is all happening um you know on the sort of uh, underground of the internet and that does kind of give me a bit of hope we've talked a lot about the kind of media narrative and it's and its failings but also some of the around the coverage is that kind of connecting um the sort of mainstream alt-right and the Donald Trump kind of rhetoric that's out there with this tragedy, like, you know, it's quite present, that connection. And, and I think why I think people are to call this white supremacy, uh, even though there's hesitancy from some politicians, like you're saying, Rebecca, it's, this is something that uh, isn't said um, in the mainstream um, until now, really.
2: Something that's come out immediately to this terrorist attack was announced in the news was the right-wing commentator is saying, let's not politicise this issue, let's, let's give people time to mourn before we politicise it. And I think saying that really ignores the fact that by its very nature, a hate crime is a political issue and the political systems that we exist in have allowed a hate crime to happen. Um, and the only people who benefit from not talking about this and putting it, placing it in the context in which it's occurred are the people who stoked the racist flames that radicalise these people. Um, so I guess a big question for us now is how do we make their build their platforms on building hate? How do we stop them from depoliticizing this issue down in the coming weeks?
3: It, as a talking point, it's like a direct import from the right wing commentators in America. Every time there's um, a, a gun massacre, right? And I, I always find it equal parts horrifying and chilling and hilarious that like they're so. Boldly just borrowing from um, that narrative. View is that it starts with having the uncomfortable conversations amongst people that we have direct relationships with, goes up from there. Um, Bad faith argument that is being supported by former peddlers of hate speech is that uh, de platforming goes against the principle of free speech. Um, While we're doing this process of writing um, hate speech anymore. We need to have it really clear in our own minds that you know, someone's platform is not the same as suppressing their freedom of speech. They're able to say it. It's just that we won't help them promote it and profit from it anymore. So there are a couple of petitions. Firstly, the one at Action Station about um, supporting the banning of semi-automatic weapons, like the one that was used in the attack. And another one, I think on change.org, calling for the removal of um, the Australian politician, Fraser Anning from parliament, um, making structural changes. So um, perhaps we as a society come to a a new agreement about um, the fact that we're not going to tolerate racism and xenophobia, either interpersonal or at the level of our politicians, which is something we might want to talk about in a bit, um, and also the firearms legislation, which the Prime Minister has said would be coming in the next week. Are the things that I've been thinking about that um, positively come out of this horrific event.
2: Um, that was a pretty comprehensive list. I also just wanted to add that something simple that i saw today that i thought was a great idea was ellie Mao using her regular platform um to signal boost um muslim woman voices um so she profiled or um let two women speak through her platform today and i think if more of our media commentators did that maybe if more of our media institutions stopped publishing the other voices um, but that's an aside and um, then we could really have a really important conversation about this
0: bunch of um awesome suggestions there thank you so much and it's yeah please um if you are around um in in the cities please try to get along to those vigils it's really important um so we've talked about um you know actions we can take as individuals but obviously there's politicians who have benefited off you know racist or dog whistle kind of political rhetoric how do we address that
3: stop Um, electing them ah
1: (laughs) yes. yes for sure
3: i think that might be hard because um, I'm not sure if you've seen this tweet that's been going around, but um, it basically it's at Ben Rosamond NZ. Um, all parties in Parliament have contributed to normalising xenophobia. Labour campaigned on slashing immigration. Also, Chinese-sounding names. Um, New Zealand First long history of Muslim bashing. Green Party has sustainable in quotation marks migration. The National Party promoted the UN migration pact conspiracy and the ACT Party has speakers at alt-right rallies.
2: On top of that as well, I'm not sure if anyone has seen the newsroom article that's floating around by Thomas Coughlin, and I'm sorry for directly quoting another media um, platform on here, but I think it's really important that he says in his article, Hansa, the record of parliamentary speeches has 139 mentions of the word Muslim. 317 of the word Islam and 238 mentions of the word Islamic in its searchable record, which dates back to 2003. But in that same time, only one mention of white supremacy, and that was Aaron Gilmore.
0: That's a really interesting fact, and um, really important that we hold all parties to account for this stuff, and, and none of them are, you know, innocent or um, haven't engaged in in this kind of politics. It kind of reminds me of um, uh, there was one of the kind of more recent. Um, in the US and it, it really, there, there was a strong message at the time um, of the issue, punish those representatives that had, had sort of back to the, the NRA and things like that, essentially something else like that, making it a real kind of focal point for, for when we actually go and cast our votes, make sure people remember it on the day.
3: Um, definitely. I, I think, you know, we need to make it clear to every single party that in unity now is not enough at all, you know. The same as if you or I were to say something racist, we need to, you know, reflect deeply on, you know, thing to do and to apologise and accept the consequences and change our future actions. Like, I think that's the only way sure that someone has learnt something new, and that goes for individuals and I think for political parties as well. Absolutely.
0: I wonder if um, the National Party have acknowledged the um, the UN Migration Pact. Does anyone know?
3: But if you mean um, by acknowledge that they've deleted it, then yes,
0: that's right. They did, but they haven't actually in the um, form that you described just now. Yeah, so I think it was a few weeks ago now where the, where there was the news about um, the the UN migration pact. I don't know a lot of detail about what it um, contains, um, but National ran a really strong, um, you know, campaign against this, um, you know. Um, saying things like, you know, scaremongering around it and saying things like it's it's going to um, make us lose control over our immigration policy and, you know, we'll be resorted to open borders and things like this. Um, so so I think we really need to um, hold them to account for that. And, and Rebecca just mentioned that um, after this attack, because actually, um, I'm not sure if we mentioned earlier in the story, but the um, Urban migration pact um, or information about it was actually written on the terrorist gun and so it was it was obviously an, a, a, an issue um, for the terrorist situation. and um, so since taking down um, their um, opposition to the pact from their website or taking down statements that that um, you know they were opposed to the pact from their website but haven't actually for, for that politics or addressed addressed it properly like Rebecca was saying earlier
3: again and um, I think they deleted a petition that they actually had to getting people to sign up to oppose New Zealand signing on to the pact.
2: Just on the topic of the UN Global Migration Compact I think it's really important to note that of course it was explicitly referred to in the terrorist attack um, it was written in the attack but not only that the day before the um, co-leader of the Green Party James Shaw was attacked by a man who jumped out of a white van in Wellington who made also explicit reference to the pact um, when he punched him violently in the face so I think there is it has obviously
3: stoked some anger this this rhetoric around the pact. I guess leading on from what Bryant said uh, it's it's a shame that the UN migration pact has been pulled into this um, strange kind of ideological battle that has ended up inspiring both the uh, attack on James Shaw and this awful white supremacist terrorist attack because the intent is actually to strengthen international cooperation in, in dealing with refugees and the effects of, effects of migration um, and kind of the challenges presented by xenophobia, racism, and discrimination in that process. And it's you know, a non-legally binding set of conditions and has kind of explicit recognition of the sovereignty of individual nations. I guess a, a convenient uh, excuse or cover to spread um, hate speech.
0: Just before you wrap up, um, I just want to ask, like, is there something that we can all commit to doing sort of one small thing uh, in the next to, um, to do a bit and, and to help support the victims of of this tragedy
3: i think for me a couple of things that i'm going to commit to doing firstly I uh, just this evening emailed my local uh, electorate mp to tell him that um i expect him to support the banning of semi-automatic weapons and to help facilitate cross-party agreement on that and we can post um, a document that has the email addresses of every single MP in New Zealand, so you can do that for your local MP too. And I'm going to be at uh, the vigil at AOTS Square on Friday, showing up to show solidarity and love.
2: I will also be at the vigil on Friday, and inspired by Rebecca right now, I will also be emailing my local MP, Jacinda Rodin, to get in touch um, about gun control. And in addition to that, I guess it's just upping my game and being very aware of myself that it's now my responsibility or always has been my responsibility to start calling out instances of racism when they're occurring in front of me to a higher extent than I have been. Final no note, I just wanted to acknowledge that obviously the 15th of March was meant to be a memorable date for New Zealand for a whole other reason. Um, I want to give a shout out to all the students that took part in the school strike for climate on the 15th. Um, The morning started with so much hope, working as an activist in the climate sector for years now, and I think that was the most hopeful I've ever felt for our possibility to achieve change. A really quick quote from 350 Aotearoa, which was addressed to all the kids who took part in the strike, but I really want to signal boost it because I think it's important. Remember that there is no justice for our planet without justice for people. Issues of climate change and racism are intertwined and must be fought side by side. Together we must continue to stand up for what is right. To all who have shown such passion, bravery and heart today, you are the Aotearoa that we want to be part of. Kia kaha. Um, I think we really need to acknowledge the fact that all of these issues are intersectional and the same people that are harming people on a day-to-day basis in this country are the same people who colonised and then subsequently industrialised and damaged this country. Um, and so all of these battles are really intertwined for protesting.
3: Thank you.
0: That brings us to the end of our podcast. Um, thank you so much, um, Briar and Rebecca, um, and uh, Muk said earlier as well, for, for all your thoughts and reflections on this. We see a really difficult time um, for everyone, particularly the Muslim community and, and the migrant community. Thank you to, to all of our listeners as well.
3: Ado and Nui, and take care and stay safe, everyone. Thank you. Night.